If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. F1 is all about being first, making history, breaking records, taking risks to do things that most others can only dream of. At the 2005 Chinese Grand Prix in his home city of Shanghai, a five-year-old Zhou Guanyu saw what it takes to be first. Fernando Alonso, number seven victory of the season. And dreamt of doing it himself. It had never been done before. No Chinese driver had ever raced in Formula One. But after 17 years of upheaval, homesickness, loss and uncertainty, Joe became the first. I lost myself a little bit because I was like, I couldn't speak a word because I sat in tears. It sounds pretty crazy to be the first one of my country because we have so many people back in my country. And I've been through this journey. It's very tough. It's like a very roller coaster ride. It's not the smoothest one. I was just very happy to be that person able to represent them. Welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Joe's F1 story is unique and epic. Before he was even a teenager, he swapped Shanghai for Sheffield, an industrial city in the north of England. He was thousands of miles away from home, but driven by a desire to be like his hero Fernando Alonso, he raced and won as he rose from karting to Formula 2. It was there that he learned what it means to lose a friend on the racetrack. And it was there that he proved to Alfa Romeo that he was ready for Formula 1. A history-making debut in Bahrain 2022 underlined that fact. China's first F1 driver and its first point scorer. Yes, boys! Come on! Come on, guys! Oh, man! He scored more points in Canada, a much-needed boost after a string of difficult races. But as you'll hear, Joe knows all about overcoming difficulties. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Joe, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. What are we? A third of the way through the season. Just how comfortable are you feeling now in the world of Formula One? Yeah, to be honest, you know, like every like two weekends, I feel like I was able to make a step forward. And especially in Baku, I feel like uh, even though it's first time driving on the straight in Formula One car and super difficult with the... You know, the braking and the uh, aero marginally, but uh, I was just actually very happy. I made a big step up since like the Friday. I was able to up the pace together with Valtteri and then it just really helped us as a team to be moved forward. So, yeah, I feel like uh, very well settled in Formula One now and uh, actually, you know, can prove more myself. So, yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, apart from first weekend, I think it probably there was a lot of stress. But after that, uh, everything else was just getting more used to. Them. And of course, you know, when you know more people in the team, in the paddock, and then you just feel it's kind of a home, you know. It's a little bit similar to when you spend more years in any other category. And you just feel like, uh, yeah, very enjoyable and enjoy to go to every Grand Prix. You've been racing for more than 10 years. I just want to elaborate a bit more on, on what it's like to be in this world in, in your first year. Um, what makes F1 different? To the other formulas i mean yeah firstly it's the basically the top of motorsports it applies a lot of attention from everywhere in the world like a lot of people following watching you many of them are not maybe following other category raced before and they get know you much better in formula one and then apart from that is a formula one driver is uh you know there's a lot of things to take rather than just driving on track you have to be focused a lot on other stuff and uh, you have to be basically a great person and also try to give everything you got with you know all the times and all the practice limitation you got and we don't get much time on track to be honest you know three practice session and we go to qualify to give it everything we have in the car but yeah for my side uh, just it's a completely different world in formula one like even f2 f1 is only one step away from each but when you actually reach the absolute top of this level you just feel 
you know your life everything just changed massively so yeah it's, it's great what about this side of it so this side of it there's obviously a lot more talking have you dealt with that okay obviously it's much more than i expected but i have to say that's like probably the first thing Valtteri said to me when he like first saw me he was like Formula 1 is about maybe 60% of talking 40% of driving so <laughs> I don't fully understand that by then but yeah after one two race weekend I actually you know you start your weekend on Wednesday or Thursday and then there's a lot of media you're going through the questions questions again maybe the same questions to try to answer that and then you know you don't get actually that much time on yourself so you're always either in the engineer's room meeting room doing a debrief or you'll be doing some activities with other people so yeah that side is pretty kept you busy i have to say how many more engineers do you have now on your car compared to let's say formula 2 yeah i mean formula 2 we have basically two engineers so one is the your racing engineer one is the the engineer who supports you and uh, in formula 1 of course you get uh, around eight engineers just walking together on your side and uh, it's it's crazy like <laughs> the biggest difference i ever felt is that maybe in f2 is like you can speak to the engineers and it's very simple they will be either on your left hand side or right hand side and uh, in formula one you try to go to each different table different seat position try to talk with different like subjects about about driving or about your car so it's get very busy and uh at first, it's not easy to adapting that because there's a lot of information I have to take this year, especially as a rookie. But yeah, it's obviously much better when you have more info and uh, it's always just helping you. That's fascinating, isn't it? Eight people on your car having to... You are actually a manager as well as a driver, aren't you? You're having to manage all these different things on your car. Yeah, I mean, eight people is just at the track and you get much more at home. And of course, it's obviously both cars as well. So... Yeah, it's like in Formula 1, the drivers have to take a lot of responsibility compared to especially other category because, uh, you know, everything you said, either in the car or outside the car in the briefing room, there's people at the track listen to and the whole factory is there try to, you know, wrote down or write down your feedback and try to improve for the next session. So, yeah, you have to be very efficient and uh, to know what makes you the struggle the most and that's always probably the first key I learned and I have to be you know just gain that confidence and you can improve a lot but yeah it's it's a it's a big difference and uh, I have to say it's not not the easiest to be understanding or to be adapting straight away and it takes a bit of time but uh, yeah so far this part of the season I feel like I'm just everything became more natural do you enjoy the technical side of the sport yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's great because, uh, you know, we, we are trying to chase milliseconds, you know, hundreds. One temps is already quite a big number for us as a Formula 1 driver. You know, it could be a matter of if you're in Q3, in Q2, or you are dropped out in qualifying. So it's crazy. Like, uh, we do all that and uh, we're only chasing, you know, look if you're just looking at the time and compared to, you know, a normal person in their normal lifetime about you know one second is nothing for, for a normal person lifestyle but yeah for us it's like I love you know all the technical side of it because uh, everything you try to get it perfect from beginning and then it just keep you going and uh, every weekend the challenge sort of changes all the time you have to face different or new new challenges ahead so you never know what's coming and as you get to Formula One it's one of the skills you need to be able to break down a second even more than you could in the junior formulas. You know, that one thousandth of a second you just talked about. Can you actually feel that? Can you visualize that? I mean, to actually feel that you can, but to visualize that is difficult because uh, obviously for us as a ranging driver, we can feel, you know, how the car generates or behaves throughout the corner and how your lap is, how good the lap is. And even though without looking at uh, the actual live timing, you can actually figure out if this is a good lap or bad lap, just not looking at any lap time. But yeah, in general, it's uh, obviously feeling that so sensitive with that little margin is is pretty difficult. But yeah, it's uh, it's probably just the the cool side with this sport or cool side with uh, being a racing driver with all that experience. You just literally you feel every movement of your chassis, your car, and you can just feel it. And it's also completely different corner by corners 
and you always have to you know get the best configuration of yourself and the car so yeah and physically how are you finding the cars there's a lot of talk of bouncing yeah uh well one thing i have to say is that after driving f2 you know it's a pretty stiff car i will never expect to driving something even more stiffer and this is uh, yeah this is stiffer uh obviously you know last year f2 was quite f2 in general is stiffer and with the bigger wheels it's make it even worse and uh, i drove the old car before in fp1 so it was very smooth ride very nice ride you can use more curb better rides and so yeah this year it's, uh, it's a big challenge for of us you know all the team try to get as much low as possible to gain downforce but then in the same time we're all facing the bouncing and uh, the first few races has not been the maybe the most newest track we're going to a lot of old school or street city tracks so the bouncing generate even more and yeah i remember baku is a special one on the straight and monaco is something crazy like uh, i never experienced so bouncing like some some corners i even can't really see it properly the corner just have to go for it and it's it's tough i think that's probably the first thing but then in the physical side of things i think uh, after two rounds everything was was fine i mean neck is probably the key but since uh, Jeddah, I feel like, you know, I have no issue on the neck. I can be holding up pretty well, so it's all good. Have you had to do anything different with your training in terms of how you're doing your neck? And Yeah, I mean, the main focus, like, once on the contract uh, last year and uh, throughout the winter was just focused a lot on the the shoulder and the neck. And, of course, with the endurance, because uh, obviously Formula 1 is longer race distance than what I used to. And uh, it's actually much more f focus you have to put into it. And uh, the other thing is the neck. You know, it's uh, it's quite difficult to imagine. But uh, I remember my first time ever jumped to a Formula One car. My neck was literally gone. Next day, I couldn't turn that around, turn anywhere, and I have to turn my whole body for looking at just someone next to me. So, yeah, I really know how much you know how difficult it was to be a. Formula One driver. So throughout these years, I was, you know, well enough to prepare myself. But of course, this season or this winter has been a main focus. Just do a lot of neck work, and uh, yeah, it's actually, you know, came out pretty well. And uh, I was maybe stronger than I expected. The neck. Have you got any secrets you can tell us? I remember David Coulthard telling me on this podcast that he used to watch Grand Prix lying down in different positions he'd do the whole race with his neck at a funny angle just to strengthen it yeah i mean there's a few different things to do one is like uh, basically you can just put your helmet on but the helmet actually has you know these weights but the weight is like very thin paddings so you can actually stick them on your helmet so use a very old helmet or your karting helmet and then you can just do quite a lot of exercise on that or you you know do a, a day of go-kart but with that much more weight on the helmet just to generate this similar or more more closer uh, feedback in the g-force and then of course there's uh, a lot more other exercise but a little bit more boring and uh, i remember all the time when i do a lot of neck especially when you do it in the public gym like i did that in china being f2 everybody think you're strange right because like no one do their neck right they only do their either upper body make them a strong man or just do some endurance training so i'll be there just get like a you know like a weight band and hook it around my neck doing something like that sometimes it's a bit strange but yeah i'm used to all that looks already so people understand that now what about the other drivers on the grid um is the atmosphere more highly charged among you than it is in formula 2 formula 3 yeah i mean maybe half of the grid i know them already from either younger single-seaters racing together or we spend a team in the same uh, same team in the past so yeah it's pretty it's pretty insane to say like how Formula 1 driver obviously when you look outside they try to like race compete as a so so hard aggressively and fairly but then I really felt that in like Saudi Arabia or that when people all sit down together you know as a group we really help try to like help the Formula 1 the sports to growing up or became better and better so it was a big surprise because things like that we never done in any other category in my life in either juniors or senior category so it's crazy to see like uh, yeah everybody are just walking as one uh, off track just try to help the best for every single different involvement so yeah it's, this is something probably maybe was a big 
little bit more shock to see because I don't expect when I see people try to, you know, I don't know, saying bad words about each other and doing that off track on TV and the uh, first time feeling that they actually work together as, as one. So it's very cool to, to obviously be one of the 20 drivers there and try to always thinking about the future, what's bringing us better for, for us, better for the drivers coming up to the to the categories. So Latifi, Schumacher, Sunoda, obviously you knew them before, but what about the older, more established guys? How, have they been welcoming to you? Yeah, everyone knows I know Alonso, Ricciardo for a long time and uh, because we were in the same, basically, team in the past and I was obviously the academy driver. And then, yeah, probably more like people like Sebastian or Lewis is something, some people that I never spoke in the past. And everybody is quite warm, you know, welcoming. And uh, especially, I think in Bahrain was the first time that everybody actually get to properly see each other, have a chat with all the drivers. So, yeah, it's cool, obviously, to have all these people around still because, uh, yeah, I definitely don't expect to be racing with a few of the very experienced drivers because it's something, you know, I remember my first race I watched, they was there racing and they're still here racing. So it's actually... A special feeling but uh, yeah really enjoy of the off track and uh, on track battle together you've just made a reference to fernando alonso haven't you for people who don't know can you just tell us the story about when you first saw him race uh that was basically 2004 and uh, that day i have to say i didn't know anything about motorsports so i was just a fan in general but i was just I saw his race and uh, I just think, you know, he was a very good driver and uh, I had that, that dream, you know, in my mind that maybe one day or one day I want to be like him, a Formula One driver. And yeah, then the second year when the Chinese Grand Prix happened, obviously I started to be a, a bit more understanding about motorsports and I was holding his flag. Everybody saw that picture on social. And, and of uh, course that was 2005, five, Chinese yeah. Grand Prix, which he won. Yeah, exactly. So that was a special year because I was supporting him and the good driver I support who won the race and uh, won the championship as well. So Why Fernando? I've got to ask you that because back then there was a man called Michael Schumacher yep. racing and actually other drivers on the grid. Alex Albon, massive Michael Schumacher fan. What was it about Fernando for you? Because like for me, I'm a pretty unique person and I don't I don't really like to obviously firstly to just follow like whatever people thinks or whatever the whole majority of people support. I want to be followed more like my heart. And by then I feel like because Michael was like a legend for everyone, like for us in China, was there, he has so much fan base. And then for a driver like Fernando, try to compete with him or try to be him on track. It wasn't an easy thing. And for me as a kid, I just feel this this guy is something special you know to able to be michael is uh, you, you have to be quite good and then yeah looking at also just following up his career when i was very young in karting always can you know do or explore much more than the whole he's like four car potential it's something like i want to be you know maybe like that so it's always nice to see how drive very aggressive on track as well like one of the best first lap or start starters in Formula One history, so yeah, he have a lot of these different type of like skills that uh, Fernando has. So I just feel like yeah, I want to support him. You were what five or six back then at the Chinese Grand Prix supporting him. So how weird is it now to be racing him on track and to have actually been a sort of teammate of him? Yeah, uh, I mean in previous years when you were of course part of the Renault Young yeah, Driver. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a quite quite like a strange or weird feeling to be fair because because the first time I knew him like uh, we was together testing uh, in uh, like private racing back in Alpine and then yeah the following year that's when he joined it uh, went back to Formula One I was able to do the well drive the FP1 in Austria and in his car <laughs> so that was my first FP1 attempt or the only one from last year. So it was a very special moment. And uh, it's something that I will never, you know, think about that will happen one day. And uh, especially like uh, now to be racing against him in on the same grid, because, you know, Alpine is one of like the main competitors or the, the team where battle for the, this very tight midfield battle. So like the first race in Bahrain, it was like always something quite special when you heard on the radio. Enjoy the fact you have Alonso. 
we was fighting for that last point until the end of the race. So that was, yeah, that was a special moment. Now, like, I remember the big difference that one heard on the radio at the very beginning, one first time in FP1, all these legend names like Hamilton, Verstappen, Alonso, and then compared to now, now it's like, you just feel it's like another driver. But then back then it's like very special. And to see them go past, I think it's difficult to explain the, the actual feeling inside yourself. But it's just something that you feel like this, these drivers are the one that you're growing up always watching them. And then you are together racing. And in that FP1 session that you did in Austria last year in Fernando's car, how helpful was he? Oh, very. Uh, we did a track walk even together. I think that's the first thing. Hang Probably. on, hang on. He made a big thing last year about him not doing track walks. You yeah. persuaded him to do a track walk. I don't know, but like, yeah, he actually, because I know, you know, a lot of drivers, they don't do track walks. You know, they, they don't like to do track walks. And uh, yeah, it was, I was surprised because I didn't know he was doing a track walk until Thursday. And he was like, oh, I'm coming for a track walk with you. And not even just that, you know, he was like actually telling me all these little tricks or what he's experienced from the past and uh, that was very How helpful was that? What was he what was he picking out on the track walk? Yeah, it's more like just the driving line and the curb usage usage and how he like you know think I should approach this session because you know any drivers has their first time and uh, he obviously you know, after all this experience he was able to just tell me about what I should do and then to make the minimum mistakes and maximum potential basically so yeah it was very helpful especially on just the lines because you know the the way you drive f1 car to other categories is quite a bit different so it was a very successful session i kept his car on track no damage i think that was something also in my mind i want to be quick show myself because i was coming from f2 and had a chance maybe fighting for the seat and then as well i want to be not making any arrows because it's very easy to do that in tracks like these you know high speed corners so yeah overall it was a very smooth day so like he was very proud of me after so well and there's a lovely moment i think just after you've got out of the car where he you're looking at each other and you can yeah. see he's smiling and you've still got your helmet on the picture yeah. i'm thinking of yeah, but exactly. obviously you're smiling. Picture, there's, yeah. a, there's a real sort of connection between the two of you yeah exactly it just shows how much like yeah uh he was just helping me and he it was just an amazing day. Like uh, It was like one of the day I will never forget to the date, but yeah. Well, how important was that FP1 session for you in terms of, what was it? It was 29 laps. You ended up just half 14. a second behind. Yeah, it was P14. P14, just half a second yep. behind Ocon. Just how important was that day for you personally? And it, what did it confirm in your mind? It was the confident. I think that's the the biggest thing was just in my mind because... I done some a few days of testing, you know, before that in other tracks throughout the year. But then, you never know. You don't have a reference, you know, to follow, and you never know what are you against the current F1 drivers. Like, so yeah, that day was obviously was a very special day because it's like first time driving this these new cars for me, the the new car of the year, and then to be able to, you know, one practice session, one hour time, you don't have much. You have basically three outings three little sessions adding together so I was able just to build up and then end up very closely it just gave me a bit confident also it's more like about other people in the paddock who are watching you you know thinking you know actually knows you is the first time for you and then you actually speed is there with your teammate so not that just that because I was half second off with medium tire he was soft so that just gave me even more like confident that if I continue walking like that way you know, I can be the same speed as them. Was that the moment when the Formula One dream started to take reality in terms of behind the scenes, the conversation started with Alfa Romeo? Was that the moment? I mean, that's one of the moments. Of course, all that, the moment starts a bit earlier than that, but uh, that was probably one of the most important dates in terms of, you know, just to get the guys around the paddock to know you better and to see actually what's your performance like on track so yeah that was definitely an important day and uh, they gave me more opportunities for my f1 dream can we expand now on your journey to formula one because so much of your story is extraordinary you moved to england before you were even a teenager but can we start 
with life in Shanghai and how you got into racing. I mean, where did your passion for motorsport come from? Obviously, it's definitely com coming from myself because uh, our family is not a motorsports family. We don't have any private racing drivers. But yeah, it's uh, when I was a little kid, I always like all the birthday gift I wanted was just car toys. So I remember when I was a kid, I was always playing on the sofa with little cars and have that imagination of like I'm actually like kind of like a T uh, how do you say a commentator commenting the the race but then it was it was a special moment and then obviously my family saw me have that love in cars so they took me to the indoor go-kart track for the first time and uh, I was the first time I wasn't in the driving position I was too scared to be driving myself so i was in the two-seated go-kart on the back how seat. old are you at this moment uh, probably six and uh, so who was driving my dad so. dad was driving okay. and i my i didn't know where i was my eyes was fully closed the whole 10 minute session so i remember that day pretty well to the date and yeah but wanted to go back again obviously was actually i wanted to go home <laughs> <laughs> no lie because you can ask my my uh, my family and uh, yeah i was too scared i feel like i'm not going to drive it myself and it's it's too fast and you're sliding drifting it's crazy never drove a go-kart in my life before so i was going to go home but then it was like you're here why don't you just try one time at least and if you're scared we don't come again and then yeah then the moment i tried it i absolutely loved it so i was like and that was it no looking back because what else were you into at the time i mean was this kobe bryant was this basketball for you had that happened yet or was it uh, was racing your first sporting passion it was actually the first kind of sporting passion because before that i was very i like football but like you know as a kid a boy you like football these sports the sports you play at school you like them and i'm i'm quite like a sporty person since very young so yeah the actual sports maybe i was thinking to do it was formula one uh, or motorsports in general but uh, yeah, before that there was nothing maybe really I was practicing or doing a lot of time seeing. Tell me about the karting scene in, in Shanghai at the time how big was it? What was the standard like? Yeah, It was pretty pretty good back then but now it's much better but uh, back then you know we have a reasonably a, a big like uh, base, basement of people completing in the Chinese uh, karting championship and uh, yeah, from my side, uh, it was quite quite special because like you arrived there, the the level for me back then was quite high up because I was very, very young when arriving to the, the category I raced back then. So basically the first year I finished top three, it was never expected. And then second year I won, then I start winning every year. Yeah, so you cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, actually I did because 2010 is the, the year actually before I decided to move out to UK. There was a round in the championship. I won all that and still still holding the record for that. So, yeah, it wasn't easy. But, yeah, in general, when I basically moved to UK, I really felt a big difference because back then it was a challenge for me, but I able to come on top. But then, yeah, in UK, I was only able to arrive just P10 outside top 10. So it's it's pretty, like, a, a difficult moment for a young teenager because you're, like, winning everything, having jumping every race and then into you can't get into top 10. So it really felt like there's a long way to go. Has the karting scene in Shanghai subsequently taken off? I mean, if you were starting your journey now, would you have needed to come to England or, or is there now the infrastructure in China for, for young guys coming through? You still have to come to Europe because the... It, you know the motorsports background history in general we are a lot behind so that means the level of the drivers are much lower and uh, i think also the other thing is that we have no for example format formula one driver that can guide you around or has an academy who help young drivers so you have to go with the most professional ones when you're young so yeah i think uh, still coming to europe that's my definitely absolutely 100 percent recommend Joe, let's discuss the moment now where you say, okay, I want to be a professional racing driver. I want to get to Formula One. How did you land on England and why England and not France, Germany, Italy? Yeah, because like 
you know, England from what we saw is that we have a there's a lot like Formula One drivers coming from British nationality. So it was something quite clear for us, and also the language, you know, even though I wasn't good or quite bad, but then it st- still is probably the only language I know back then, apart from Chinese. So kind of the uh, communicating ways and also you know the level is pretty high so it was quite clear for us just to move to England and obviously you know normal people when you go to England you move to big cities I didn't I went to North Sheffield so so uh, why, why Sheffield because Motorsport <laughs> Valley in the UK if you'd said to me Oxford or Milton Keynes yeah. you've got lots of Formula 1 teams around there lots of junior racing teams around there less so Sheffield because my racing team in go-kart was based in Sheffield. So it's basically the Tony Kart team. It's called Strawberry Racing because Strawberry Racing is their like kind of nickname because Strawberry is very famous fruit for that city in Sheffield. So, and uh, yeah, it's basically that's the team I went for and uh, they was one of the best team. Russell was racing with them in very old age. You can ask him. <laughs> Do you remember George from back then? Uh, yes, because while well, first time there, I watch a lot of, like old video clips, and that was like uh, he became like he was uh, I don't know where he was maybe just about to move into doing all this OKF racing, but before that he was in UK base and yeah, I remember that back then and yeah he was still doing all this junior category to go to Formula One as well so yeah, basically we all kind of started in the same team and uh, yeah it's it's pretty nice to see it now so. And Joe, how tough were those years for you i mean how homesick did you get how much can you tell me just about the setup in terms of who you were living with and it's obviously still i feel quite a lot homesick like just now but uh, yeah back then was was difficult it's more like uh, you don't have many friends when you started this journey because you moved to a, a, a city that uh, you know there's not a lot of people you know and everybody's like quite new to you and then you have to be going to school try to understand what the class is saying because uh, to be the English or the language is one of the difficult part f- for the beginning to be understanding what other people are saying and then yeah you you always basically doing practice or schoolwork or you just racing so there's only three things you do when you live there and for a young boy back then was pretty tough because uh you don't have time for other things, but obviously racing is something I love. I enjoy the most, but yeah, still you kind of lose quite a lot of friends, you know, especially back home in China, like, because you don't go back often to see them anymore. But yeah, still by then, I think I had more times to going back than now. And, and who were you living with? Was it, were you living with the racing team? Or? I was actually, my mom was living with me together because I was age of 11, 12. But then, yeah, I spent basically most of my weekend with the racing team. That's how I able to improve my English as well. So, hang on a minute, Joey. Hang on. Mechanics English. Are you good at swear words? That's all everyone. I was t- very good, <laughs> but then I was able to calm it down the last few years because I think with other teams, then that's is yeah. That's probably the first thing I learned the, the best. It's very easy to to learn the swear words with the mechanics, yeah. And were there any? I mean, it's it's so easy to look back now. You've made it to Formula One and and you're established in this world. But were there dark moments back then where you felt, I've made this huge sacrifice, and for whatever reason it's not happening? And did you almost have to sort of go back to Shanghai a few times? How close did it get to the dream ending? Yeah, I mean. I have to say in karting days, not too bad. It's more like, uh, it's like when you're going up, going up, climbing up to the level of single seaters because in basically the karting days, it's quite, it's quite straightforward. And uh, I was able actually to do pretty well after one year of practicing all that. But yeah, there was times in karting days that people crashing you out, pushing you off on purpose because... I was basically the only Chinese face around the paddock. You know, you get kind of like a little bit bullied, you know, with other more important or more like like experienced drivers because that's karting, you know, there's a lot of bumper racing together. So it's tough, but then it wasn't, wasn't something special. I was able to earn my respect quite early by doing well on track. And uh, yeah, it's more like uh, the recent years, maybe especially like two years ago in 2020 in Formula 2 because it's like you are very close to the dream but then 
I think when you're young, you think the dream is very real or very easy to reach. But then the older you get, the more mature you get, you realize how difficult just to have a door open for you to get to F1. Because firstly, I was thinking, okay, you get the super license points and then you're being F1. But then after I got that super license point, I really felt like there's other things have to be all around in the perfect timing and uh, to have a seat for you. And yeah, that's very tough because you have to manage yourself quite quite difficultly because you know there's your competitors or other people who try to take you down from it but then you have to just really use yourself and use the your team try to give myself the maximum i have every race weekend and not do any mistakes and then the chance became maybe 20 50 percent and so yeah it's it's tough i remember there's one time i felt like you know i went back home for maybe just five days not telling anyone like no one knows from outside the world apart from our family just i just i just go there and run back just for like uh fully relaxed re, uh, like recharge let's say but yeah it's uh it's difficult times it's an incredible story and, and mum is in fact mum still comes to races doesn't she she she's at most of the grand prix yeah now. i mean uh yeah she her plan was to come to the first first race and i kind of got stuck here because <laughs> loves it yeah shanghai got into lockdown and yeah oh i see that's why yeah, as much I mean, as anything, yeah she was going to go just to watch a few european races and then yeah because it's nice to see and and yeah i think my dad is more than exciting to come here because he haven't had the chance yet because my my like kind of sister is still going to school there they cannot both to be here and one of them have to take care of my sister so yeah hopefully you know they can come i'm sure they will come like during the next few few months you then race in formula four formula three formula two one of the things that really strikes me about your junior career is that you were very loyal to your teams you, you were effectively prima and you and i virtuosi was that an intentional thing to, to remain loyal and stay with the same group or was it just circumstance that saw you end up with those teams I mean, for so long it's kind of uh you know at the beginning Obviously, with Prima, it was because I was with Ferrari Drive Academy and they have the link, all the junior drivers there. And then they was one of the best or the best team out there. So I was just with them. Then with Virtuos, it's kind of like more from my side together with Renault that uh, we think that was a team we have a, a good chance of it. And then, of course, you know, we felt like when you started with them, when you build up kind of this relationship together with you and your engineer, then if you keep swapping teams, you know, you might have a very good benefit and so you might be like, you know, to be very good the next year, but then it could be a chance of, it could be difficult to adapting with either the car or with the people around. So we thought, you know, is a British team, is that where I'm coming from at the very first place? And uh, I like the way they work and they are a very strong team in the past. So I just st stuck with them in 2019. And then since then, like, we felt like we can do something quite well, you know, in the coming up years. So I think it was, uh, you know, it was a very good choice in general. You mentioned the Ferrari Driver Academy and then you swap to the, the Renault Young Driver um, Academy. Is that, is that is it another yeah. academy? But what made you swap? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a, it's a tough option because... Obviously, Ferrari is where you have that badge. It's something special, right? And then, yeah, that year is like, basically the next year will be my first in F2. And for my side, that is the year I want to really to put myself into maybe more role, more involved with Formula 1 teams. And it was clear that Renault was able to offer me, you know, a deal has a lot of testing program, a lot more like involved even in the Grand Prix weekend or in the debris of the, uh, the current F1 drivers. So, yeah, for me, like, uh, that was just the right decision I made. So I'm quite glad with that decision. It was a tough period because when you want to switch, you know, you have to change quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite, quite good in general because it just prepared me well enough in 2019. Then last, or 2021, I was able to step in the car and to either have that opportunity to step in the car then also to be have an opportunity for my future but yeah i think otherwise i don't know if i had an fp1 last year or not so i think that was a very good decision and of course through renault you, you met daniel ricardo um friendly guy yep uh very funny guy so <laughs> always joking about things and yeah, uh, yeah it was a it was a good good team play and there was also a, a really good crew of you part of 
uh, that Renault Academy. And there's one guy I wanted to talk to you about was Antoine Hubert. Uh, he was your teammate on the program. And, and how tough was Spa 2019 for you? Yeah, it was a very dark weekend for the whole motorsports, especially for us, because it's even more the week before we spent two weeks in France, like doing a cycling trip. I can't remember where it was. This so you were doing a stage of the Tour de yeah, France? Yeah, kind of like you? a little yeah. stage of that. It's eight days, we travel different places, and then a total of 690 kilometers. You and, and Antoine were yeah, doing that together? There, all the academy drives, so I was there. And also I was lucky I was there. And uh, yeah, we, we shared the room most of the time because we was a very good friend together. Obviously, we are always racing, compete each other in F2 also as well that year. So, yeah, it was pretty difficult to accept when that happened because I was literally maybe two, three cars ahead of that queue. And then I saw the guy or two behind me literally lost control because I saw a car went very far into a rouge. Then, yeah, it was red flag. So I don't know what's happening until we stopped. So I was quite shocked to hear what happened but then you know more into maybe 20 minutes later and i heard a story of you know he was pretty much you know not here anymore so i was i was very shocked and it was difficult to to race and i think f2 did a good job to stop that race but yeah just very sad to lose lose him like that and it's, it's the first time for me to experience something like that it's crazy did you question your own participation in motorsport uh to be honest i didn't because uh we all know we have like a chance of risk when we put the helmet down and uh, sit in the car. But yeah, I think by then I just I just feel maybe something we could definitely change to make that crashing or that happen not to be there anymore. Because I feel like this this corner always has have to be changed from all this experience. And yeah, it's uh, for myself. I wasn't really doubt of if I should not continue or not because I feel like that was my dream. We, as a family, we put so much effort into it. We, there's no way I would be backing out from it because we're doing something we love, every driver, and we just love to be fighting together in this kind of tone of speed. So yeah. I'm sure he'd want you to continue anyway. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, it was, a, it was nice to also has a, we wore his helmet in Sochi the next race coming up so it was a very special moment because the whole helmet was his that year's current helmet with his name on it so it was just something to rest in peace and so yeah and at the end of the year you picked up the Antoine Hubert award for top rookie that must have been a, a special moment yeah that's a very special moment because uh, you know the rookie was named after him so it's and the first year to have the rookie trophy, so to be the first one to take that, it was a very special moment. Also, I remember his brother gave me that trophy, so it's just something. Uh, this trophy is back in my office in China, together with his helmet next to it. And uh, yeah, it's just keep me in, in memory of an uh, amazing driver and great friend. the Chinese driver heading to Formula One will see the chequered flag first and celebrate another victory in FIA Formula Two, Formula One bound. Go on, you Joe. Thank you for your hard work. So Formula Two works out. You get the drive in Formula One. Can you remember where you were when you were first informed? Was it Fred Vasseur who made the call to you? What happened? Uh, it's my manager made the call to me. And uh, I was actually at my house, 5 p.m. at my house. And yeah, uh, I heard that phone call because I'm, it was it was very tough because basically there was only one seat in Alfa Romeo from Silverstone period. And, you know, it was like 10 people, how many people fighting for the 10 drivers. And then obviously the numbers get reduced, reduced throughout the time go, being gone. And uh, yeah, it was... I never know if I had the, ch I know I had a ch chance, but then it's not more or less than the others. We are equally based. So yeah, when I finally heard that, it was like uh, kind of a big, settled down big, like uh, breath, you know, breath back. And uh, I was actually, I couldn't, I lost myself a little bit because I was like, 
I couldn't speak a word because I sat in tears because I remember that day was quite special. I was luckily at my house because otherwise I'll be looks very strange if I'm outside in a public place. And so yeah, it was uh, back then when you heard you are Formula One driver. It's just Formula One driver. This two simple word is a uh, very special for all of us as a young young drivers because that's a dream and the dream is is not something we set and it's very easy to do and something is you have to you know how was the news received back home in china yeah i mean everybody was asking me one week two weeks before am i going to get it am i going to get it and then the best thing i think about it was that when i know that i was you know the deal was done i was comfortable for next season i can't tell anyone apart from my family and uh Obviously, my family knows, but yeah, it was it was difficult because I was so happy, exciting. But then everybody was just they don't know if I was making it. So like my very close friend would just text me every day, and I can't give him answer because I cannot do that. And so yeah, it's uh, everybody went quite crazy back then when that happened because uh, I don't know how many years yeah it's been and it's the first driver and uh, it's. Uh, big moment for the Chinese motorsports. It's massive. The yeah. first Chinese Formula One driver is sat yeah. in front of me now. It's a it's a historic moment. And and the magnitude of that must have made an impact on you and everyone on back home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just, you know, it sounds pretty crazy to be the first one of my country because we have so many people back in my country. And uh, then yeah it's uh obviously i've been through this journey it's very tough it's like a very roller coaster ride it's not the smoothest one but yeah i was just very happy to be that person able to standing out or standing out for my home to be represent them and uh, yeah hopefully one day the the grand prix will happen but, oh yeah. how much do you want the grand prix now like so badly yeah. because uh <laughs> it'll be a sellout it's, it's gonna be special <laughs> because last time i was there it was the last Grand Prix 2019. I was still F2 driver, but by then people was crazy about it because I don't know, were you there in 2019? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. was, right? Yeah. I was doing a Renault E20 demonstration before the Grand Prix. So when I stopped, put my helmet down and uh, sat on the top of the cockpit and uh, like the whole grandstand was actually screaming. And uh, by then I was only my third, second race of F2 finished. So nobody, not many people know. And yeah, by now I think I'll be completely crazy so uh, well let's hope we get back to shanghai next year are you selling lots of merch is is it is it uh, on that level is it w working out uh yeah well i mean w i saw some like uh merch in the past in f2 times but then once in f1 we are planning to have some merch to be announced but uh especially obviously the first one will be the mini helmets of my this year's season's helmet and so uh, yeah we haven't really focused on that yet but uh, there will be definitely a lot coming because i know everybody are asking me for merchandise and uh, i'm very excited to have all this coming up but yeah it's been it's it's quite tough to manage it all together at the same time but yeah will be a lot more coming and of course it's going to have the number 24 on it um i asked you about kobe bryant earlier at what point did he come onto your radar uh it was in like uh around when i was probably about nine eight years old so going like i was school still back in shanghai because by then you know we like to in china it's different we all our uniform is not blazer with shirt with like normal shoes we are just sports shoes and then with the like a sports outfit that's our normal uniform it's completely different. so don't tell me you turn up in a lakers outfit every day right not lakers outfit we have our like school uniform but it's like a sports one instead of like the former one so it's we i do turn up with a kobe shoes every day <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh basically that's all come together he was a big thing a big uh, sports kind of like uh legends back home so i was big fan of him since very young so i don't play too much basketball like i play betting in football i have to say i'm much better in football but then i'll love more watching basketball because the the game is so intense and then he was the like kind of a guy i was always supporting watching him playing so i was a young even though i was in uk i was still trying to watch his game so yeah it's a, it's a big thing for me and it's more like I choose the number because of him, but also like my favorite number is gone. So I have like kind of a limited choice, but then I feel like I need something that give me the energy in F1. So that was it.
So let's bring it right up to the to the present. We've discussed Alonso. Let's let's talk about Sauber and Alfa Romeo. First of all, Valtteri, what kind of a teammate is he? Oh, very great teammate, and uh, it's like so nice. It's probably one of the nicest teammate I worked. The last time I have a teammate that nice is probably Callum. <laughs> it's like yeah, obviously Valtteri is. Uh, it's great because with all his experience and he was able just to not just answering all the questions i um maybe have a, a question mark to him it's more like uh, sometimes he was even asking me like how do you feel do you have something you want to know even even more about it and i remember that very well like in Bari already said before 10 minutes before the pilling open before we put the helmet on he was actually asking me do you have anything because he knew how nervous i was it's your debut in Formula One, and since then we've been walking along so well together. And uh, also nice, we have a very similar driving style. So the feedback of the car, we always quite equally matched. So for the direction of the team, it's very great for development. And uh, yeah, so far it's been very good, and we always try to, you know, maximize all the potential. What's the best bit of advice he's given you? You know, it's about the. Uh, just the beginning of the first ever Grand Prix in Bahrain because he said to me like so this is your first qualify session and then you have to just you know take it step by step don't think about like you have to give it everything your first try if you can't do it you still have another try you know to do it it just kind of calmed me down and also like he says you know stuff about for example Baku he was like even though it's like halfway like a quarter way for the season he was like here you have to just go to the finish it's the first thing you need to do in Baku that's before the race weekend even started he was like just go to the finish you never know where you will finish so it's like things like that just very motivate myself and just help me a lot to be you know became better and he's been very generous in his praise of you as well after Baku he was saying that you were in a different league he said on Sunday yeah, I mean, was obviously we have to see what's obviously his biggest struggle in Baku. But yeah, I was able to have to say on Friday, uh, matching more his pace. I think it's everyone is happy to see also him because then we really can push each other, each other to finding this final few attempts where we have our full potential in the car. But yeah, I think uh, last weekend obviously was a uh, was a very strong performance for me and everybody see and uh, just very happy to be continue working that way. But then wouldn't be there obviously without his help and uh, I think we are very good like a match teammate. Has he got you drinking some of his coffee? Yeah, he did. I was in Imola was the first time I tried his like homemade coffee. He was in the motorhome, so. It was Were very, you just being polite, or did you genuinely want to try? I actually genuinely want to try because <laughs> I don't drink coffee one before this year. I never drank any coffee before arriving at phone. But then with all these early mornings, I have to deal <laughs> not on track, but like media activities and all the other things. But yeah, I have to stay awake, and that's the thing. Yeah, I do one also before some races, some qualified session, just to help me to be set to myself. So, yeah, I, I love coffee quite a lot now, but I'm not in the level of Altria, nowhere near. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone else is, quite frankly. My engineers. Oh, do they drink a lot? Is it? About 12 coffee. 12 coffee a oh, day? 12 minimum, coffees a day? Minimum. Not joking. You spend one day in Alfa Romeo next to my engine, you will see. <laughs> Everyone's shaking. They're so wired by the I don't coffee. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and what about back in Hinville? How much time are you spending with the team? A lot. Like last last year, the moment I finished Abu Dhabi, so the first time meeting up one day with the team, and then I was straight back to the factory for the simulator until one day before Christmas. And then, yeah, beginning of the season also, one day very early just to be, try to, you know, feel the new car, try to learn and try to get involved with all the teams in f in the factory just to spend more time with them and so yeah it's obviously it paid out pretty well like if you look the beginning of the season how we was able to perform and uh, it was a big surprise for i think everyone in the world watching formula one and also for myself it just you know it's just a big confident build up from the since the beginning so i'm just quite happy with all this extra effort i was able to put in in the factory behind the scenes and you can see it just paying off very well did you nip off skiing over the winter skiing yeah i don't do you don't do you're no, not allowed no. to i don't know if we <laughs> but i think we don't allow this kind of dangerous but uh, i don't i don't ski because 
probably Shanghai, sensitive. we don't have snow. Every 10 years, we have one <laughs> little snow. So it's not a famous... It's probably very sensible because yeah. if you were into skiing, I think you'd do less work because you just always... Half an hour from Hinville, you can be in the mountains. Can't yeah, you? I know. Um, they love to go. <laughs> well, let, let's throw it forward. I'd like to think Silverstone is something of a home Grand Prix for you, given that there's no Chinese Grand Prix. Do you see it like that at all? Yeah, I mean... Silverstone is a place kind of like I feel very much home because I'm living in UK. But I think honestly this year the home company will be Singapore because that will be I think a lot of Chinese people. Like Melbourne I feel like it was a home company for me because like I don't know I have so many people in that city. It was crazy like even the hotel in the like the paddock. So yeah, Silverstone coming up. I'm definitely very exciting for. British. I mean, at least it's a track you know very yeah, well, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, and uh, it's being, you know, normally that's a race that a lot of people come in watching me from my family or from my friends. So it's a super unique track to be driving. So yeah, I always love. It was one of my favorite race in in Formula Two. So yeah, you always went well there. Okay, Singapore later in the year. It's going to be hot, but just overall, what are your ambitions for the remainder of this first season? Uh, I mean, from my side, I think I will be just keep walking, building up from here. And I feel like we are now in a very good, like kind of a starting range now. Like Baku was a big step up for myself performance, like from Friday. So we don't, we are not a session behind because of, of the, I know Baku, but still it's like just, I was able to be straight away on it. I think we just have to take that as a reference and to be keep doing that and uh, obviously to be closing the gap together with Valtteri is always a good thing and then that just really can can help me going forward but then the other thing is that I really want to have a good Sunday because we haven't had one in the last four races and uh, especially with the DNFs it's pretty frustrating and uh, yeah I just hope that uh, you know we can get the problem fixed and then to I'm sure the results will come we need to just fix it and uh, yeah we have the speed we have the potential get back in the points Joe thank you so much for coming on the show it's been wonderful to chat best of luck with everything thank you Joe is a very engaging guy, isn't he? And that was a wonderful chat. I loved hearing his story and the sacrifices he's made in pursuit of his dream are as big as any driver on the grid. And I find it mad to think that his father still hasn't seen him race a Formula One car in the flesh. Let's hope that changes soon and let's hope that we get a Chinese Grand Prix back on the calendar next year. The fans will go absolutely mad for Joe if that happens. Joe, many thanks for your time. It was a great conversation. Please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Joe. Unlike his dad, have you seen him race in the flesh this year? Please send in what you've got to me at TomClarksonF1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Thierry Bootson after last week's show. There's a lot of love out there for Thierry, isn't there? Let's start with this from Matt. I was 16 in 1989, he says, and I went to the Canadian Grand Prix with my dad in the torrential rain. I was wearing my Williams jacket, which I had Thierry's name embroidered on. Every week I await with great excitement for your podcast with the hope that we would hear from Thierry. You've made for one happy fan. Well, Matt, it makes me very happy if you're very happy. And it certainly was great to hear from Thierry, who I thought was in very good form. Now, how about this from Carl Lawrence? Very insightful conversation with Thierry, he says. It was wonderful to hear him recall racing alongside Stefan Beloff, who would no doubt have challenged for the World Championship had he not been lost to us. Well, Carl, I loved hearing about that as well. And it's crazy to think that Thierry was Stefan's teammate in sports cars, but that did at least mean he could provide us with great insights about Stefan Beloff. And let's end with this from Triangle123. Fantastic, says Triangle. Thierry was one of my favourite ever Formula One drivers. I came to Formula One in the late 80s, early 90s, and I had a soft spot for Thierry when he was dumped by Williams and had to join Ligier because I thought he was worthy of more. I always loved his attitude and racing skill. What a brilliant interview. Well, thanks for the kind words, Triangle. And yes, Ligier, but I can't stop thinking about Thierry in a red Ferrari alongside Senna. 
Thank you for sending in those messages. And that's pretty much all we've got time for. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed hearing from Joe, please follow the podcast. It's the fastest way to get our new episodes. Just hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen. And please leave us a rating or a review. We love reading them. Plus, why not check out the latest episode of the F1 Nation podcast? It's our review of the Canadian Grand Prix with none other than local boy Jacques Villeneuve. Search F1 Nation on your podcast app or Formula One's YouTube channel. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.